How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA Day 2 of the Eastern Conference Previews. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, host of Locked On NBA, which you've tuned to, and Locked On Jazz as well. And this is and the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's show, which is brought to you by Casper Mattresses again, Casper Mattresses with their innovative designs, cutting the prices for you and giving you the best sleep surface you can find. Go to casper.com slash locked and enter the promo code locked and get $50 off any mattress. Here's the really, really cool thing we're doing. If you missed yesterday's show, we're taking the Locked On Podcast Network hosts who know their team better than anyone, and they are answering a set of questions, same questions. What's the storyline, breakout player, best case scenario, worst case scenario, those kind of things about their team, and we're linking it together for you. We've already done part one yesterday on the program, and that is the Hawks and the Celtics, the Nets, the Hornets, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Pistons, and the Pacers. So today, you get the Heat, you get the Bucks, you get the Knicks, you get the Magic, you get the 76ers, the Raptors, and the Washington Wizards, which actually we don't have a host of. It's the one group that we do not have a host of, and I apologize for that. So I will do a little bit at the very end uh, about where I think the Wizards are and what's going on. Plus, I'll add on my thoughts. I've used my pack number, which if you haven't heard what it is, pack is points above average created. It's a system in which I have built to evaluate offensive players. If a player gets 10 scoring opportunities a night, what would the average player in the league score? It'd be about 10.04 points. What does the average player in the league do with those same amount of possessions? Uh, tells us a little bit about who they are, who's most efficient, what's going on with those things. So that's where what we use PAC for, and then I've broken it out each into each team. And there's some real surprises on a few teams that are just could be horrendously terrible offensively. Uh, so I'll give you my thoughts of what the numbers are saying on where each of these teams is going to be, uh, as well as what the guys who cover the team every day put out their daily podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, say about their team. Again, Miami, followed by Milwaukee, New York, Orlando, Philadelphia, and we'll wrap it with Toronto, and then I'll talk about the Washington Wizards. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, the fastest growing sports audio network in the world right now, uh, gives you a podcast about your team in the NFL and the NBA every day. Make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to get those podcasts so that you know the most about your team and you're connected. Let's get this part two of the Eastern Conference underway, and we'll start it off with a really good show. Wes and David do a wonderful job with Locked on Heat. Hello, this is Locked on Heat. We're the only podcast that provides the latest news, analysis, game previews, and recaps on a daily basis. So if you follow the Miami Heat, our podcast is the best source for anything that you're looking for, Miami Heat-related. 
my name is Wes Goldberg. I'm the co-host of Locked On Heat along with my good friend David Vermil, and he's here. David, what are the two main storylines for the Miami Heat season this year? Well, it's obviously a very different season for Miami, particularly because they're replacing two of their former superstars. Uh, part of the big three era, Dwayne Wade, who's been with the team for 13 seasons, no longer with Miami, now with Chicago and Chris Bosh, who, of course, wasn't medically cleared to play with the team. So that's the probably the biggest storyline, how they replace those two key players who were such a special part of this team for such a special era, uh, the, the big three era. And then, of course, there's also what to look forward to in the future. That's developing their young core of Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, and, of course, Hassan Whiteside, who they re-signed this year, positioning themselves for future contention because this year is not likely to result in any kind of a playoff seeding or a title. So let's focus on the future. Now, what do you think is the biggest unknown that Miami will face this year? Well, it's if that core is really the provides the framework that the Miami Heat need to build something back. I mean, we know the Heat. They're going to... Do what they can to get back into playoff and, more importantly, NBA championship contention. I mean, Pat Riley is a guy that's going to put all his dominoes in that basket. That's not a phrase. I don't know why I said that. But he's going to be going. He's going to, he's going to be looking at this youth and these guys and say, "Okay, can I build something from here? Is this 2003 when I drafted Dwayne Wade? Do I can I see something here? Can I can I mold?" a roster around these guys, get a Shaquille O'Neal maybe a few years from now, maybe make a huge splash with LeBron James. I, can I build from this? And that's the main question. Um, so what player do you think is going to be thought about differently? And we talked about all these young guys. Which of them or if anybody on this roster, who will, be, who will we think about differently at the end of this season? Well, I think the big storyline for this season is probably Hassan Whiteside's continued development. Obviously, a, a lot of people outside of Miami and South Florida in general still think of him as being somewhat of a malcontent. He didn't have much of a career in Sacramento. He traveled all over the D-League and internationally, kind of you know, lucked into a situation here with Miami who had been theoretically keeping tabs on him. But, of course, he developed into a, a real productive player blocking shots, scoring at the rim, etc. How he continues to develop, I think, is a, a key issue for them. Um, you know, Dion Waiters also is, a, is a, a, you know, a big player here for Miami. Somebody they were able to bring on the cheap, but he has a, a reputation of being a selfish player, somebody who hasn't really been able to develop as an offensive or defensive player. He's been with Cleveland, you know, LeBron James. Uh, didn't want him as part of the team, and they were able to move into Oklahoma City, where obviously he was a, a you know not necessarily a key player there. He was just one of the people backing up Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, but with Miami, he figures to have a, a prominent role here, as particularly as a six man who can facilitate on offense and provide some scoring punch as well. Yeah, uh, we did a podcast earlier this summer with uh, Matt Moore of CBS Sports, talking really about the narrative of Dion Waiters and and how he could overcome that. And I think Waiters definitely has a negative reputation in the league right now as a ball hog, somebody that's never happy. And I think this opportunity in Miami is his, is his uh, chance to change that. Um, what needs to happen for the Heat for this season to be great, though? For me, I think it's along the same lines as focusing on the, the youngest pieces of their core, and that's just as Winslow and Josh Richardson. I think Winslow has a bigger name in that he was a lottery pick and he played at a, a big program over at Duke, but Josh Richardson is also somebody who stepped up offensively and defensively from Miami last year. And I think for them, uh, you know, it's, it's continuing to develop, showing more consistency offensively, particularly for Winslow, who's been struggling with his shot or struggled with his shot through his rookie season. Very notable. You know, everybody knew about 
about that. Defenders sagged off of him, and that created spacing issues. But from him, we want to see an improved jump shot and more of a facilitator role because that was one that uh, Dwayne Wade obviously held for so long here in Miami. But now Justice Winslow has the opportunity to take over that role. Uh, Richardson needs to also be more of a playmaker, ball handler. He, you know, he played some minutes at point guard last season, and you know there were some good moments there, particularly defensively. But there were also some rocky moments. So we want to see continued development from them, uh, and, and you know, just continue to show that versatility. They both have good length, good size, able to guard multiple positions, and they could be key parts of uh, you know different lineups for Miami moving forward. Yeah, with Chris Bosh gone, the Miami he was the best two way player on the Heat. And Miami's kind of looking for that right now. Whiteside really stands out on defense. He's a little limited on offense. Justice Winslow could step up and be the best two-way player on this team. I think that's what fans are going to be looking for. I don't know how great this season can really be record-wise. It's really going to be about the development. Um, on the flip side of that, though, what happens that can derail this season? Well, like you said, you know, there are lowered expectations for this team. I don't think anybody projects them to be a, a legitimate title contender. They might be able to eat past some of the lower level teams in the Eastern Conference. There's been some improvement overall there, I think, in the East. But there's also a, a, a melange of teams there that are, you know, could obviously fill any one of the lower seeds in the Eastern Conference. So if Miami's able to advance, you know, make a, a good push for a playoff seed, that would be great. But nobody expects that. So I think for overall, it's just about continuing to develop. But if anything's going to set this season off the rails, I think it would be a, a, an injury to Hassan Whiteside. He's a key piece of this team moving forward, not just defensively because he makes up for the mistakes of so many other players, but offensively. Somebody who can get easy points at the rim, who can dive to the rim and, and catch lobs with ease because of his incredible length and athleticism. So he's going to be a key part of this team moving forward. They've even talked about you know, possibly having him be more of a passer out of the low post and a facilitator on offense. So he's a key part of this team moving forward. An injury that would you know set him back either this season and beyond would be devastating to Miami's future. Yeah, with Bosch already gone, I mean, to keep continuing with this turn of phrase I just invented, all of Miami's front court dominoes are in the white side ba- basket. You know what I mean? That's a good one. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it's, if he goes down, we're already struggling with power forward depth. If he goes down, I, I just don't see how this team could come back from that. Um, all right, we talked about some hypotheticals and the ifs and that's. What's the most likely scenario this year? Yeah, I just don't think that the the players on this roster are necessarily meant for success this year. You've got a lot of guys on short-term deals, obviously looking to cash in in the future. Waiters, Derek Williams, James Johnson, and others. So this is all about just kind of making the most out of this year. Um, you know, they're going to be putting up some big numbers on occasion that might lead to some selfishness, although you expect Eric Spolster to keep things pretty tightly reined in. So to me, I, I think a, a win total in the mid to high 30s, Probably in an 11th seed, even in an Eastern Conference, is probably the most likely scenario for Miami. Yeah, I think back to the Timberwolves of last year. I mean, we're so high on Minnesota, right? As a team, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine. We love that team, right? They yeah. only won 29 games last year. Right. I think that's probably where the Heat are. I think you continue with the development of Winslow and Richardson. In best case scenario, like we talked about, they show out. They show that they could be stars, right? They could big promise and building blocks. Whiteside as well. I don't. It's not about wins, but I think the most likely case is that all these guys now, with an increased opportunity, with with Wade and Bosch and Luol Deng and Joe Johnson all gone and Bosch, all of them gone, they're going to have the chance to step up and prove themselves. So, um, all right, this has been a tiny little sample of what we can offer you over at Locked On Heat daily analysis every 
every game. We're doing recaps. We're doing previews of every game every day of the week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Locked on Heat. My name is Wes. I'm here with David. Thanks for listening. Wes and David really summed it up well. I mean, you get right down to it. The other night, the Heat started Wayne Ellington at the 2 and Derek Williams at the 3 or the 4. That's just not a team that's built to do uh, major things, and offensively, they're not built that way either. I look at the efficiency numbers. They're 12th-ranked offensive team in the conference. Only, in my numbers, Indiana, mystery team, and Philadelphia come out worse offensively. Whiteside will have to do a lot for them defensively, uh, but it will be... Uh, it'll be a struggle and a weird thing in Miami. Gordon Drogic will use a lot, a lot of possessions. One of the teams I still have a lot of high hopes for is the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's check in with our Brew Hoop crew. Frank and Eric do Locked on Bucks. Frank Madden and Eric Name with you from Locked on Bucks, presented by BrewHoop.com, and we're here to tell you everything you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks in just five to seven minutes. I don't know if we can do that, Eric, but we, we have to give it a shot. Uh, I'm going to kick it to you to start off the two main storylines to the Milwaukee Bucks season. Go. I think the first one obviously has to be Giannis Dedekumbo and Jabari Parker. And whether or not those two guys are stars, whether or not they can average 20 points per game, whether or not they can make plays for the entire team, whether or not they can kind of take another step. We saw some of it out of both of them after the All-Star break last year. And I guess the question is, is that for real? And I think that's going to be a major storyline for this season. What's the other one? Uh, I think the other one is just with Chris Middleton out for six months slash potentially the entire season. Uh, how long can the Bucks stay competitive? And for me, you know, you look at that early part of that schedule, 14 of the first 21 games at home. Uh, they have to come out and, you know, as hard as it's going to be trying to make up for Chris Middleton's absence. They're going to have to win a good chunk of those games if they're going to have any chance of competing for anything, for you know being in that mix in the East for those playoff spots. Which um, you know there may not be a lot of top in talent in the East as far as uh, you know title contenders, uh, but I think when I look at those teams uh, in the East, there are a lot of teams that are going to be competing for those that eight spot. The Bucks had hoped to be in that group. Right now, you'd have to say they're on the outside of that looking in and. I think that leads us into the next question of just what's the biggest unknown. And I think uh, if they're going to stick in that playoff race for for any period beyond the first month, uh, their defense is going to have to be vastly improved. And we've seen the Bucks defense really over the last five or six years yo-yo back and forth significantly between <laughs> terrible and great and decent. And two years ago, they were second in the league in defensive efficiency. That was after being uh, basically dead last yeah. uh, under Larry Drew. So they've done this before. Last year, uh, they were, again, in the bottom 10 after, of course, having that breakout season, uh, winning 41 games uh, with Jason Hitt at the helm. And for me, the big question, question is you know can this team find some way to defend at a much higher level uh, than they had uh, last season and and maybe get back somewhere close to where they were two years ago obviously you've lost Jared Dudley and Zaza Pachulia from that team you have Greg Monroe you have Jabari Parker around maybe you don't have Greg Monroe around that much longer um, <laughs> but you do have a, a, a group of young guys that you're are hopefully getting better and again pressure on Jason Kidd you know is Part of that unknown, can he figure out a way to get that defense back to playing uh, the way it was a couple years ago when they were blitzing and playing aggressively and forcing lots of turnovers? And that was obviously very key to the box success in that 41-win season. Uh, next question, Eric. 
the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season? I know you've got one guy in mind. I do, and I'm excited to talk about him. It's Matthew Dellavedova. I think one thing that you think of when you think of Delhi is LeBron's little brother. Uh, he was the guy that was <laughs> alongside LeBron. He was shooting spot-up threes. He was getting into the corner. He was benefiting from being on the same kind of just being on the same offense as LeBron. He was getting easy shots, and defensively, he was sometimes dirty, sometimes a try-hard, sometimes diving on the ground, sometimes getting in people's faces. Always gritty. Always but always gritty. Um, so he he's kind of known for those things, and I think this year he'll prove to actually be an NBA player, and he'll be a guy that the Bucks count on quite a bit. I know in the preseason right we've seen some of his playmaking. We saw some of it on the Australian national team as well. Um, I think he's going to surprise some people and kind of break out of whatever that long shadow that LeBron casts. He's going to break out of that and be a nice little player. And I guess he's going to be great. So let's see what would happen in this season for it to be great for the Bucks. Giannis and Jabari are, are amazing. Like we mentioned uh, in the two main storylines, those two are breakout stars. They're actually guys that can carry an offense and can do the things that they need to do defensively. And the Bucks are okay on defense, at least. Um, I, I think that would be it. If there's two things that could happen for this season to be great, would be one, those two are bona fide stars, or the Bucks can actually be a top half of the league defense with some guys who I think both of us think aren't great defenders in Parker and in Monroe. So if they can put together a defense that actually seems to work with those guys on the floor for a lot of minutes, okay, maybe we can believe a little bit more in this coaching staff. Maybe we can think that going forward the Bucks can get it done on defense really no matter who is on that roster. Um, On the flip side, Frank, I have to ask you, what if this happens? The season would derail. What would that thing be? Too late, Eric. Already happened. Chris <laughs> Middleton with the world's worst hamstring injury. Uh, he's out for six months. That would put him not coming back until late March? Question mark. At which point, who knows where the Bucks will be? They may be deep in uh, lottery mode, or at least fans may be deep in lottery mode at that <laughs> point. And uh, nothing gets me more excited than the idea of. Uh, having a public debate over whether Chris Middleton should be coming back in the midst of the Bucks trying to make a run at a top five pick. Oh. We're not there yet, but if it's a bad start to the season, I feel like things could, could go south pretty quickly. Uh, so I don't even want to talk about potentially other guys getting injured. Let's not even go there. Um, let's go to the most likely case scenario. And I think uh, we were certainly a bit more optimistic about this team contending for one of the final playoff spots in the East prior to the Middleton injury. Alas, losing Chris Middleton, probably the most indispensable guy in the roster, uh, a 3 and D guy, a guy who was their leading scorer, uh, their best shooter a year ago, a guy that could defend opposing wings. The guy that uh, makes everything work. The guy that kind of just made all lineups work. And you know, any type of fun lineup construction started with Chris Middleton and, and Giannis. Alas, Chris is out. Uh, probably not a good idea to factor him into to any of the plans this year. Uh, so I, I just feel like, again, last year, 33 wins, uh, a team with a 29-win point differential, unfortunately. And I just feel like, you know, hopefully the young guys improve a, a great deal. But without Middleton, 
it just feels like it's going to be a, a stretch to get into the high 30s. So, so maybe in that low 30 win, low 30 something win range feels like a more likely case scenario. Yeah, I would agree. That sounds about right. Low 30s. I think we put an over under around 33 earlier. Um, and we both were pretty close in that area. So. Yeah, it's a little bleak in Milwaukee now that Chris Middleton's out. But we have Giannis, Eric. Don't forget about that. That's we true. We have Giannis. They can't take away Giannis. His extension is done, and we're knocking on all the wood in the world to make sure he doesn't get hurt. So for Eric Name, I'm Frank Madden. That is your quick season preview of the Milwaukee Bucks. Be sure to follow us on Locked on Bucks and BrewHoop.com all season. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. They do a great show. i got to tell you, I find I'm coming from a different spot on this team. And I'm coming on a different spot a little bit for the way I feel about the rest of the Eastern Conference. So let me see if I can clarify this. I really don't think Chicago is going to be particularly good. I think they're going to struggle offensively. Wade and Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler, they don't have much space. I don't see it as an elite defensive team. I'm not sold on Hoiberg as a head coach. I talked about that in the part one. Detroit has suddenly lost Reggie Jackson for an extended period of time. Now, and again, and that team, uh, while I like a lot of the moves they've made, they haven't shown the ability to be a great defensive team yet. I think Detroit battles for the eighth spot, and I probably put Detroit in the eighth spot with Chicago in the ninth. And everyone's like, well, wait a sec. Who else do you have in the playoffs? Well, obviously I have Cleveland one, and I have Toronto or Boston two or three, and Atlanta and Charlotte battling four or five. And I have the Wizards, who we'll talk about later, six. So who do you have as seven? I have the Milwaukee Bucks as the seventh playoff team in the Eastern Conference. And what, wait, wait, how, well, I don't think Miami, as we've already heard from the Miami Heat guys, are ready to make that kind of run. Up next, we're going to hear from Jared Dubin of the Locked On Knicks. I think the Knicks are going to be awful. I, I, I guess Derrick Rose could come back, and we'll talk more about it. But when I run the numbers on the Knicks, the Knicks come out to be one of the most inefficient offensive teams we've ever seen. In fact, the Knicks don't have a single player on their roster who uses a possession above the league average. I, I, I don't know how they're going to play. Orlando, are they a playoff team? I think Milwaukee is going to be a good defensive team with Giannis, Spearheading, I think Delavidova is going to add a tone to who they are. I think they get enough offense with Jabari, the way he played the second half of the season. And I think Milwaukee surprises a lot of people in this upcoming season with how they play, who they are, the versatility of what they're able to do lineup-wise. And I, 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 I'm sure people think this is nuts, but even with the Chris Middleton injury, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are a playoff team in this upcoming season. Today's Eastern Conference preview is brought to you by Casper Mattress, the obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. So Casper is a sleep brand. You've heard of them. They make the perfect mattress, and they sell it directly to customers, eliminating the middleman, eliminating the commission-driven inflated prices that you're used to. So when you hear about mattress prices, $1,500, I can't do it. I, I, it's taken me forever to get my wife to, like, consider Consider to get a new mattress. And then you tell her, honey, the queen size mattress is only eight hundred and fifty dollars. That we she's four foot eleven. We sleep in a queen. The king is nine hundred and fifty, but they're less for you. Because if you go to Casper.com slash locked and insert the promo code locked, then you get fifty dollars off. Here's the other part of this that's so awesome. Hundred nights risk free. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you. I know, but I don't want to go get the mattress. You don't. 
You order it online, and it comes to you in a box that makes you – how did they do that? This is why Time Magazine named him one of the best inventions of 2015. It's an award-winning mattress. It won't disappoint. It's free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. Casper mattress, springy latex, supportive memory foam, perfect level of bounce, perfect level of sink. You're going to like it. Casper mattresses, and you know, if you don't, they just pick it up and refund you everything. So go to Casper.com slash locked and use the promo code locked and you get yourself $50 off those already great prices. All right. I don't think the Knicks are going to be good. In fact, I think the Knicks are going to be awful. What does Jared Dubin, the host of Locked On Knicks, think? Hey, this is Jared Dubin, the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast, here to answer some questions for the Locked On Network's NBA preview division by division. We're going to start right at the beginning with question number one. What are the two main storylines to your season? I think, inarguably, whether you want to hear it or not, the Derrick Rose sexual assault trial is the biggest storyline for the Knicks this season. Uh, It's happening right now during training camp. He's missing games, missing practices, testifying, and just horrifying things are coming out. And whether he is held liable or found guilty of the civil equivalent of rape or not. There are things that have happened and that have come out in this case that are deeply troubling, and that's something that should be talked about all season, you know, whether he's found liable in this case or not. It's not something that should just go away. Uh, Number two main storyline, I think it's a tie between the development of Kristaps Porzingis and a sort of connected story, which is, you know, what offense the Knicks are going to run. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the triangle offense and whether Jeff Hornacek is going to run a pure version of it or some sort of hybrid system. I think that is deeply connected to what we see out of Kristaps this season uh, in terms of whether we see him doing a lot of picking and popping or a lot of posting up or whether he's even, you know, tangentially involved in the offense or a main component of it. You know, those things, I think, are definitely two big things to watch as well. Uh, Question number two, what is the biggest unknown? You know, no doubt this has to be health. Um, The Knicks have several guys in the team that that, that should be considered very injury-prone. You know, Rose obviously has missed a ton of time over the last few years uh, with knee issues and then with breaking his face before last season. Uh, Joakim Noah has missed a bunch of time the last couple years, too, had a serious injury that kept him out for most of last season. Uh, Carmelo Anthony missed a lot of time a couple years ago and has missed you know, at least 10, 15 games seemingly pretty much every year that he's been with the Knicks. I think there's only been one season where he didn't miss at least 10 games. So you know, between all of those guys, plus Brandon Jennings coming off his Achilles tear, uh, it's a very, very injury-prone team, and that is definitely the biggest question mark uh, for, the, for the team so far. Um, Question number three, is the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season? Uh, again, I think you have to go with Derrick Rose here, uh, whether it's you know coming back from his injuries and generally poor play over the last four years and you know people accepting that he's back or he does not come back from those injuries and people accepting that he's kind of done. You know, it seems like we're going to get a definitive answer one way or the other. Uh, that, that, that seems like the most likely thing to happen with me. Uh, you know, maybe it's Chris Stapps if he has, you know, a huge breakout and he's thought of as a sure all-star going forward. But it seems like Rose is more likely to have a, a definitive answer one way 
or the other to me. Uh, question number four. If this happens, the season will be great. You know, to me, there are uh, a lot of different things that need to happen for the season to be great. Uh, first and foremost, everybody needs to stay healthy. Rose, Noah, Jennings, Carmelo, uh, even guys let, coming off the bench like Lance Thomas need to stay healthy for the Knicks to, uh, to have a great season. Um, then you need Carmelo's shooting to tick back up from where it was the last couple seasons. You need Chris Stapps to stay, to take a step forward. You need the offense to seamlessly integrate uh, you know, ball-dominant guys like Rose and Carmelo together with guys like Noah they are going to move the ball, and Courtney Lee and Chris Stapps, they're going to bring their shooting. Um, you know, you need the defense to come together better than it has been for the last, you know, especially during the Phil Jackson era, but also over the last 15 years or so. You know, you definitely need Noah and Chris Stapps to form a, a forceful defensive interior, and you need guys like Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee and even someone like Justin Holiday to, uh, to step up on the perimeter defense as well. Uh, and you need some of the other teams in the East to disappoint. You know, it's, it's a deep conference. You know, beyond the Cavaliers, there's not necessarily another elite team and I think there are probably only two other really good teams in the Celtics and Raptors. But after that, there are uh, probably seven or eight good to pretty good teams in the conference that the Knicks are going to be competing with. Um, so some of those teams need to disappoint as well. Um, question number five, if this happens, the season will derail. Uh, again, you're talking about injuries here, uh, especially to Carmelo. If Carmelo misses any a significant amount of time, that's just a huge blow for the Knicks. Um, you know, if Rose and Jennings don't get going, if Noah has to miss a bunch of time and they have to play really without a, an anchor in the defense and defensive rebounding in particular, that is a, a big minus for the Knicks. Uh, if none of their bench moves work out, you know, this is a, a bench that, much like the entire team, is very high variance. Um, Jennings can be good. He might struggle like he did last season, though. If Lance Thomas regresses, if guys like Holiday and Hernan Gomez and Kylo Quinn and Kuzminskis and Endor don't give you anything, you know, all of a sudden the bench is super thin. And when you have uh, an injury-prone and defensively limited uh, starting lineup, then uh, things can go south pretty quickly. Uh, last question, number six. What is the most likely case scenario... And to me, this is somewhere in between the, uh, the, the two other scenarios. You know, uh, in all likelihood, some of these moves are going to work out great. Some of them are going to work out poorly. Some of them are going to work out just okay. And the Knicks seem like they're going to wind up with somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40-ish wins or so, somewhere between, you know, like 38 to 44. That seems like the most likely thing to me just based on how many different things they have, variables they have, that can flip sort of one way or the other. And uh, you're not going to get them all to flip positive. You're not going to get them all to flip negative. Might as well say that the most likely case scenario is somewhere right down the middle. Uh, that's going to do it for me. Once again, I'm Jared Dubin, the host of Locked On Knicks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give us a review and a five-star rating as well. And uh, you can also find the podcast on Audio Boom and Sound and uh, and Stitcher. Thanks again.
Well, Jared was pretty reasonable there. It makes a lot of sense. Let me see if I can explain myself. I, I've honestly, I've never. My system's not foolproof, but I've never had a team come out as bad as the Knicks did offensively this year. So, again, a player uses a certain amount of scoring opportunities tonight. In the case of Carmelo, he uses twenty point six scoring opportunities a night. He average the average player scores. more points than Carmelo does in those 20.6 possessions. So as great as Carmelo is in all of his scoring, his efficiency as he's gotten older has slid. And now the average NBA player, or in the case of maybe more realistically, if three average NBA players combined to use 21 possessions, they would actually score more points than Carmelo does. Chris Depp's Przingis was one of the best-rated rookies last year. In his 14 scoring opportunities, he was a negative .6. I think it's likely he's above average this year, okay? I think in most all likelihood, he's above average. That's the natural progression. But the rest of this roster, Joe Akeem Noah was minus 1.4 last year. Kyle O'Quinn was negative. Drink Grant was negative. Grant uh, was moved. But Lance Thomas was is negative. Sasha Vujicic, I don't know if he'll ever play again, but he was negative. Derek Rose was minus 2.1 uh, last year. Justin Holiday was negative. This is incredible. Every single one of the guys that I have is one of their is, who's going to be on their roster and playing and is suddenly a negative offensive player. You, you I, I know they're big names and I know they're impressive and all these things. I, I don't think they overcome it. I, I'm. I'm sure there are all sorts of people that are listening to this that are Knicks fans, that are major market people that think I'm insane right now. And that's, we'll see whether or not that's true. But uh, Brandon Jennings was coming off the ACL was terribly below negative last year. Courtney Lee is a player that's, you know, a, a, a little bit better than he's, but he's not, he's, he's right on, right? So uh, Plumley is, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, so these, I mean, you just kind of run down who they've got going, and those are guys that all of them are negative possession users right now. I think Przingis will be positive, but that's why I feel the way I do uh, about where the Knicks are going to come out. Orlando Magic are one of the grand mystery teams of all of this, and uh, one of the better one of our hosts, uh, host of O Magic Daily, uh, the website does our Locked On Magic. Remember, this is the NBA preview via the host of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go find your podcast each and every day, 15 minutes or so on every team in the NBA and the NFL. Go subscribe on iTunes. Okay, let's take a look at those Orlando Magic. Hello, my name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the host of Locked On Magic and the editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. And I'm happy to join you here and uh, answer some questions about the Orlando Magic. I mean, I think they're a team that everyone is talking about and asking, what in the heck are they doing? And, you know, I have a few theories on that, but I'm just as much in the dark about it as you are. So... What do we know about the Orlando Magic? What are the storylines to watch for this Orlando Magic season? I think the big storyline to watch is can this team make the playoffs? I think when you take everything out of the vac, when you take everything and look at it in a vacuum, the Orlando Magic made all the moves they made this summer. As, as confusing as they are, trading away Victor Oladipo for Serge Ibaka, signing Bismack Biyombo, uh, everything that they did 
has a short-term goal, and that is to make the playoffs. It's been four years since the Orlando Magic made the playoffs. It is currently tied for the longest playoff drought in the 27 years of Orlando Magic basketball. The only other time that they were out of the playoffs for four years were the first four years of the, fr- of the franchise. This is essentially the worst the Magic have been for any stretch of period since their first four years, since they were an expansion franchise. And they don't have Shaquille O'Neal sitting in the wings guaranteeing them relevance for the next, I don't know, four or five years. It was four years. Sorry. So the Magic are trying desperately to make the playoffs. They injected a lot of veteran leadership into the roster. I mean, the Magic had the second largest turnover uh, of any team. So the que- so the two big questions that we're going to be watching, especially early in the season, how how, are, how is this Magic team going to come together, and can they form a defensive identity? The Magic, again... Seven, I think they added seven new players to this roster. So virtually uh, half the roster has been turned over. No one's quite sure how this group is going to come together. But the one thing we do know with the hiring of Frank Vogel is that they're going to play really, really well on the defensive end. And that's probably their ticket into the playoffs. So this is a team full of unknowns. And I think the biggest unknown, though, is going to remain... How do these pieces fit together? And I think the big puzzle piece to getting this team to fit together is Aaron Gordon. The Magic drafted Aaron Gordon three years ago with the fourth pick in the draft. There's a three-player draft, Jabari Parker, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid. The Magic ended up fourth. You know, if the Magic are, get one of those top three picks, they're probably in a much different situation, and, and they played the lottery and lost. Aaron Gordon, though, is still this big bundle of potential. No one's quite sure what he is. He's played most of his career. He's played about half of his minutes with the Magic in his first two years, uh, splitting between the two forward positions. It seems more certain than ever that he's going to play small forward this year. He's going to start at small forward. And many people, myself included, believe Gordon is a better fit at the power forward position. So how does Gordon... uh, how does Gordon fit that role? How does how does he learn to attack off the dribble? Can he develop a jump shot? He's a thirty a, a sub thirty percent three point shooter, but the, the the big thing about Gordon is no one really knows what he is. I mean, he averaged twelve points and seven rebounds per game after the All Star break. After the Magic traded Tobias Harris, coming off the high of and, and quite literally the high of the slam dunk contest, but no one really knows what Gordon is. His rookie year. He injured his foot at the beginning of the season, and that made it a complete wash. His sophomore year it looked like he was ready to make a big leap, judging by what he did during summer league. But he uh, broke his jaw in July, wasn't ready for the beginning of training camp, and it took him a while to get into rhythm. No one's quite sure what he can do, and again, he's playing a completely new position. If there is a player, though, on this roster that we're going to think of differently at the end of the season than we do at the beginning, it is Aaron Gordon. Because he has so much potential, because he has so much upside, because he can potentially do so many things. The problem with Aaron Gordon is we haven't seen him do any of it. We don't know what he can be. His potential is seemingly unlimited, but... For a team that has to do so well now, it's hard to say what he's going to be able to contribute. It's hard to say uh, what he is right now. Like I said, he is the biggest mystery of the season. And I think by the end of this season, we'll know whether Aaron Gordon is a future star in this league or, you know, 
kind of similar to the guy that's going to be backing him up, whether he's just Jeff Green, a guy with a lot of talent, will do some stuff occasionally, but really is a tweener that doesn't have a great fit overall in the league. So the Magic season, like I said, is all about making the playoffs. The season will be great if the Magic make the playoffs, period, full stop. If 38 wins gets them into the playoffs, it will be just as successful as if 44 wins gets them into the playoffs. If they finish 41 and 41, you know, I think that is a good sign of progress, and I think that probably saves a few guys' jobs with the Magic. But ultimately, the season will be a failure, especially considering Serge Ibaka is a free agent and, and the Magic are trying to get into the playoffs just to get into conversations for uh, free agents down the road or, or trade trade pieces or, or whatever the case may be. The Magic have to make the playoffs. And I don't think anyone's under any assumption that they'll get like a high seed. They're not competing with the Cavs. They're not competing with the Celtics. They're not competing with the Raptors. You know, maybe they can win the division if, if everything bounces right. That the Southeast division is up for the up for grabs. Uh, Atlanta and Charlotte are, are the two stalwarts. I expect them to, to compete for the top of the division. But when you play elite level defense, anything is possible. And, and the Magic certainly uh, could be in that conversation. And that's just if everything goes absolutely right. The season though will get derailed if the defense isn't good. The Magic are hoping for not just a good defense, but an elite defense. That's why they hire Frank Vogel, who in his six years with the Indiana Pacers has had a top 10 defense in every single year, despite shifting talents, despite injuries to Paul George, despite Monte Ellis being on the roster. He has squeezed every little bit out of out of his rosters defensively. Uh, and so the Magic are hoping that he can do that again and and – you know, he made the playoffs five of the six years. The only year he didn't, Paul George was out, and I think he finished ninth that year. Having a top defense gets you into the conversation for the playoffs. That's that's the goal, after all. Last year, 10 of the top 11 teams in defensive rating made the playoffs. The only one that didn't was Utah Jazz. They finished a game out. So, again, it's about being in the conversation. The season gets derailed, though, if the defense doesn't work. And, and I do have big questions about whether Nikola Vucevic can anchor a defense uh, an elite-level defense, it, it's going to be a credit to Frank Vogel's coaching if that works out. Most likely, though, the Orlando Magic probably fall just a bit short. They're learning They're learning each other still. They're learning the coaching staff still. Uh, and they're learning a new defensive scheme. So, And they're learning how to play meaningful minutes. A lot of these guys, a lot of the key players for the Magic, at least, have not played meaningful games in April. They made it to February last year before they wills it. And in January, they finished 2-12 and last year after starting year 19-13 and and being in the conversation for home court at the time. I think they went to London uh, in mid-January, and they were the fourth team in the East. The most likely scenario for the Magic, they fall just a bit short. They stay in the playoff conversation late into the season because of that defense, but they don't have enough offense, and their defensive consistency isn't quite there, maybe even at the beginning of the season, to, to get over the hump and make the playoffs. And they probably make it to April in the playoff conversation, but ultimately fall short, leaving a lot of questions for the Magic entering this offseason. Thanks, everyone, for the time. This has been Philip Rossman-Reich. You can follow me on Twitter at OmagicDaily. Be sure to listen to me on the Locked On Magic podcast and follow me on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. I look forward to seeing you all then. I think my buddy Philip Rossman-Reich might have convinced me they're a playoff team. I, I didn't have him there, but the more I think about Frank Vogel's defense – 
So if I have them competing with Chicago and Detroit and Orlando for a playoff team, none of them are going to be very good offensively. But Orlando's going to be the best defensive team of Chicago, Detroit, and Orlando, right? So don't they make the playoffs? It's an interesting question. Where do they get their offense? Evan Fournier is their best offensive player, but again, then they fall a little bit under the Knicks where most of their guys are not positive uh, positive offensive players, and I think that that really hurts them uh, a little bit. Their offense comes out exactly kind of right where I have Chicago's offense and right where I have Detroit's, and the question then is just which of those is the best defensive team to make the playoffs. I, I think I'm going Orlando because I just believe in Frank Vogel that much. Plus, you look at that personnel. That personnel should become a defensive. With Alfred Payton, uh, I don't know if I, uh, if Mario can, can really defend, but Abaka, Bismack Biombo, Aaron Gordon, they should be able to do a lot of things, uh, defensively. How they're gonna work, uh, Vujicic into this group, how they're gonna work those three bigs together, I think will be fascinating. I'm a CJ Watson fan, who they picked up a few years ago, but, uh, I'm not sure they are. Uh, and Jeff Green has, has had his, you know, been talked about a great deal, uh, and I don't think anybody else has to has to talk about them anymore. But I, I think it's a pretty interesting uh, group to look at. It's not they don't have ten deep in the way that you probably want them to be, but I think they have enough depth. Uh, and as I said, I'm, I'm I think uh, Phillips talked me into it. I think the Magic, because of uh, Frank Vogel, become the best defensive team of that group. And so uh, I didn't actually have him there until I listened to Phillips. But I'm going to have Orlando as my eighth playoff team. So I got Cleveland as one. Toronto's coming up here. They're two in my book, uh, right with Boston. And then Atlanta-Charlotte battle for four or five uh, with um, Washington at six, Milwaukee at seven, and Orlando at eight. It's a little different than most people. We'll see. Philadelphia is not a playoff team, but they are the most exciting team with the Embiid train going on. And too bad about Ben Simmons. Let's hear from... One of the best there is, longtime Philadelphia Inquirer writer uh, who now hosts Locked On Sixers, Keith Pompey. Welcome to Locked On 76ers. I'm your host, Keith Pompey. And right now, this is, uh, I want to talk to you guys about the 76ers uh, season preview. You know, there's, there's six topics that I want to discuss. The first one are, what are the two main storylines of the season? Well, the first storyline is the Sixers going from being a tanking team to a team that's actually trying to win games this year. And the goal is to change what used to be a losing culture to a winning culture. And how will they be able to do that? So that's the one thing to really pay attention to. The second storyline is... Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid was drafted third overall in the 2014 draft. He's a seven foot two center out of Kansas. However, Joel Embiid missed the last two seasons with uh, broken navicular bones in his in his in his right foot. Two of them. He broke it last summer, and they broke it the summer before that. So. Right now is is a lot of like uh, caution within the Sixers to see how this guy is going to do 
with that being said, he's only going to play uh, 20 to 24 minutes at least at the start of the season, and he's not going to play on back-to-back nights. But he's a key figure to this team, and if as long as he stays healthy, there's a thought that the Sixers will be good down the road. Secondly, let's talk about what is the biggest unknown. Well, the biggest unknown is MB's foot. It's can he remain healthy? Um, another unknown is uh, that 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 I think runs with that is when will Ben Simmons return? Ben Simmons is the uh, was the first overall pick in this past draft. He broke. He, he suffered a Jones fracture in his right foot last month in training camp. And he was supposed to be a big superstar just along the lines as, as Joel Embiid for the team. But sources have said that he'll be out for three months. However, it could be longer just so because the Sixers may want to decide to hold him out just to rest him um, this year to make sure that he doesn't uh, suffer any lingering injuries. Okay, the third thing that I want to talk about is the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. Mm, That's a a great one. I I believe that player could be Jared Bayless. And the reason why I'm saying that is, is because, you know, Jared Bayless is a guy who's always been a role player at his other stops. Right now, playing for the Sixers is providing him an opportunity to be a starter and to be a star. And I think that that he is going to be able to get up a lot of shots and do some things. So I think that his image of just being a role player will basically change this year in Philadelphia. If this happened now, the fourth thing is, if this happens, this season will be great. Well, if Robert Covington, who is the small forward, and Hollis Thompson, who is a backup shooting guard, and Nick Stauskas, who's another backup guard, can really be on their game, if they can elevate their game and stick a lot of three-pointers, and, and, and just play at a high level, be more consistent than they were in previous seasons. This team will be successful. Now, being successful for the Sixers in, is probably around 25, 26, 27 wins. So if these guys can do that, the team will be successful. Now, the fifth thing is, if this happens, this season will derail. Well, if... Ben Simmons doesn't come back this year, this season will derail. If Joel Embiid suffers a setback with his navicular bone, not only will this season derail, but it seems like the future that the Sixers want to have will derail. Yes, this guy is that important. And lastly, most likely case scenario. Well, the most likely scenario for the Sixers this year is probably running anywhere from 20 to 23 games. And I know you're saying winning 27 games is a success. And so, you know, 
but I believe that the Sixers winning 20 to 23 is 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 going to be the most likely thing because yes, they're going to try to win, and what that do is that will give them probably you know five more victories than what they had last year, so that puts them at 15. But then it by by just by trying, but then when you factor in that you know they got a Gerald Bayless, they have a Gerald Henderson, they have a Sergio Rodriguez. And then you also have uh, Dario Saric, who's playing this year, and you have uh, Joel Embiid playing. I believe that this team should be able to win 20 games, even without Ben Simmons. Um, But it will be hard for them to win 27 without Ben Simmons. So that is the best-case scenario for the Sixers. Thank you for listening to Locked On Sixers. Well, there's one thing for certain about the Sixers, and thanks to Keith for that. They are a league pass team. We're all going to want to watch the Sixers this year. I'm not sure how many wins are going to come, but watching Embiid progress uh, and his post-game interviews, if Ben Simmons gets out on the floor this year, a lot of really, really exciting time uh, there for the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, we're almost wrapped up with the Locked On NBA Eastern Conference preview. Uh, today, the Locked On Podcast Network is the fastest growing sports audio network in the world. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite NBA or your favorite NFL team on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 10 select styles only. The Toronto Raptors are the last of our previews. They just debuted with the show, and they're actually debuting by coming on the Locked On NBA Eastern Conference preview. Hey, this is Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors, here to give you a quick preview of the 2016-17 Raptors for the Locked On Eastern Conference preview. You can find my work at RaptorsHQ.com and follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean. And make sure to listen to Lockdown Raptors for your daily dose of Raptors coverage every day. Uh, the boss man, David Locke, has given me six questions to quickly run through to tee up this season's edition of the Raptors. Of course, as you remember, last season the team won 56 games, uh, earned the second seed in the East, and lost in six to the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so the first question here from David, what are the two main storylines heading into the season? Uh, number one for me, and I talked about this on the very first episode of Lockdown Raptors, which came out on a Wednesday, um, is that th- the expectations for this team are a little bit muddled. It's uh, it's sort of a weird time to be a Raptors fan, to be you know following the team, because they just reached a, a pinnacle with the, with their with their last season. It was a franchise best season, and it's kind of unrealistic unrealistic to expect them to repeat that, or, or not not so much repeat, but to build on that because getting past LeBron James in the Eastern Conference is not easy at all. Uh, so, sort of gauging what will be a successful season for this Raptors team is very unclear and very muddled right now, but. It's going to be sort of an interesting storyline to keep an eye on throughout the season. The second one is Kyle Lowry uh, going into a contract here. Lowry last season was, you know, by all accounts and by all the numbers, a top 10 player in the league. He was fantastic, and he really is the engine of this team. It seems unlikely that he's going to leave if, if, 
you know, he gets the free agency, which he, he will because he's so criminally underpaid right now on his four-year, $48 million deal. Uh, after the third year of the season, he will probably opt out. He's already said that he's going to. Uh, and just that's sort of going to be a specter sort of hanging over the team if things go poorly. If things go well, I'm sure it won't really be an issue. But if for some reason, you know, injuries or bad play strike, uh, it's definitely a storyline that's going to sort of crop up, especially around the trade deadline. Uh, if it looks like the Raptors are in a position where they might need to pivot away from their sort of you know, organizational direction. Again, I don't really see that happening, but it's something to keep in mind. Uh, question number two, what is the biggest unknown for the Raptors? That's got to be Damari Carroll's knee. Last year he missed, you know, he only played 26 games in the regular season. Uh, he got back in time for the playoffs, wasn't totally 100% in the playoffs. He still shot well, uh, but, you know, his defense kind of lacked. Uh, and he really, I mean, if you look at last season, he played maybe five games where he was totally healthy. Uh, early in the season, he, he got plantar fasciitis, uh, and that sort of led to the knee injuries that he uh, eventually tried to play through the pain. He took some time off to rest it, came back. Jimmy Butler had a crazy game and scored 40 points and a half on the Raptors. Uh, and the next day, Damari Carroll went for knee surgery. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. If Carroll isn't healthy, this team is, it's a deep team, but if you don't have Carroll at the three and sort of, you know, soaking up some minutes at the four, that's a big deal because, you know, the Raptors lost Bismack Biombo in free agency. Uh, the front court depth is a little slim right now and Carroll's going to be relied upon to soak up some of those minutes at the four uh, and some smaller lineups. And if he's not there, uh, things are going to be stretched a little bit because none of the other Raptors wings can take on that responsibility. Question number three, the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season. Uh, I'm going to go with Jonas Valanciunas here. Uh, he has sort of been, you know, primed for a breakout for the last couple seasons. I think this year might final, finally be the time. You saw in the playoffs last year before he got hurt in the round, second round series against the Miami Heat. He started to, you know, his whole thing has always been he's been a very good post scorer. And the thing with the Raptors offense is that, it's not really geared to, you know, create these, you know, engineered post touches for guys like Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, it's a very driving kick heavy offense, very high pick and roll heavy offense with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry being the sort of the focal points. And Valanciunas, he's always been a good pick and roll scorer. He's never been a guy who's, you know, looked for that shot uh, as a role man or a guy that, you know, Lowry and DeRozan have looked for, for that matter. I think this year that might change. I think you saw in the playoffs last year that, you know, there is a bit of chemistry there with Lowry. It's not quite there with DeRozan yet, but... I think, you know, Dwayne Casey's going to want to try to get him more of a usage share so it's not so much of a burden just on Lowry and DeRozan. I think you could see Valanciunas really getting an uptick in his, shoot, in his shots per game. Uh, and if he does, he's been efficient, you know, scoring the ball every season of his career. So I really think uh, this could be the time where he breaks out. I think if you look at those playoff series against the Pacers and the first part against the Heat, you can really see sort of a recipe for success for Valanciunas there. Uh, number four, if this happens, the season will be great. I'm going to go with the, this being Dwayne Casey finding a way to manage the workloads of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, this team doesn't really work, especially without Lowry. Lowry is so important to the team. I mean, if you watch the playoffs last year, anytime Lowry was off the floor, even though he, even though he was struggling shooting, the team was just lost on both ends of the floor. Lowry is so important on defense, on offense. Um, and the, the Raptors really need to figure out a way to sort of work, manage his workload. Last season, he played a lot. He was durable. You know, there was the whole skinny Kyle Lowry thing coming into last year that actually ended up paying off, uh, where his conditioning seemed a lot better. But he still got dinged up with an elbow injury that uh, kind of hampered him heading into the playoffs, and Lowry's shot was affected, and uh, you really got to keep that guy healthy. 
And same with DeRozan. DeRozan is a very durable guy. He's only really had one bad injury. Uh, but his sort of – his health plays into the Lowry's as well. The one year where he did have the bad injury, which was in 2014-15, uh, he missed, you know, something like 20 games with a, with a torn tendon uh, in his leg. And, you know, it, that really put too much of a burden on Lowry, and he wore down. So – and then, and then you saw what happened in the playoffs against the Washington Wizards that year where the Raptors got swept and Lowry DeRozan were completely ineffective. Um, so those two play hand-in-hand. Hand. If you can get those guys' minutes totals down from, you know, 38, 36 to maybe, you know, 34, that'd be really nice to see, especially since the Raptors, once uh, backup point guard DeLon Wright is back, uh, they know they'll, they'll have Corey Joseph and DeLon Wright who can take some of those minutes at point guard. They have Norman Powell and Terrence Ross as wings who can sort of alleviate the toll uh, under Rosen as well. So keeping those guys health, healthy is paramount this season. Number five, if blank happens, the season will derail. This is very easy. Kyle Lowry is the motor of this team, and if he goes down, the Raptors, you know, are maybe scraped into the playoffs uh, if you were to miss a significant portion of time. I'm not even convinced that's true. Uh, Corey Joseph's a really nice backup point guard. He might be among the best back, backup point guards in the league right now, but he's not Kyle Lowry, and Lowry last year was so good and so important to the Raptors that uh, if he goes down, it's a, it's kind of a lost season. Uh, the most like, likely case scenario for this team I think 50 to 54 wins, you know, I don't really see this team dropping off too much from the 56-win pace they set last season. Uh, keep in mind, they missed Jonas Valanciunas for 20-something games with a broken finger. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned, Carroll only played 26 games. The loss of Bismack Biombo will hurt in a way. You know, he's he's a nice rim, rim protector, but I think a lot of people saw what he did in the playoffs and thought that's what he did all the time. And I don't think the loss of Biombo is going to, you know, translate into a loss of, you know, more than a few wins here or there. So, yeah, I'm going to go 50 to 54 wins. I think they'll finish second in the Eastern Conference. And they'll get a tough second-round matchup with the Boston Celtics that I'm not at all ready to make a prediction on. Uh, And that's where we'll leave it here. Once again, I'm Sean Woodley. I'm the host of Locked on Raptors. You can listen to the show every day throughout the season to get your daily dose of Raptors coverage. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and look for some of my other work at RaptorsHQ.com. Thanks for listening. Well, thanks a ton, Sean, and welcome to Locked On Raptors. We are short one program on the Locked On Podcast Network, and that is the Wizards. And I hope to have that solidified by next week early, and I'm hoping it's going to be an incredible show. So I will let you know uh, when that happens, and I apologize for the Wizards fans that they're the last one out there. It's nothing personal, of course, uh, but really uh, a little bit shooting the moon. On a host possibility, I've talked to a bunch of people in that marketplace that are, are great, so I know the show's going to be really good. Uh, there's just one specific host uh, that I, I feel uh, I know well enough, and I owe it to to kind of wait and see if, if he can, uh, or he in combination, two people can become available. Uh, in regards to the Raptors, I mean, I think they nailed it. There's obviously some changes. How much did Biombo's energy really impact that team and some of the other areas? I've been throughout this, uh, I have been talking about PAC. And uh, I want to dig a little deeper to wrap up the Eastern Conference here with the final bit of pack ranking. So w- Garrett Jensen is a local Utah guy who has done some wonderful work for me and been able to put together uh, an expectation kind of as I talked about on where Pack's going to go. So Pack truly uh, is an offensive rating system. So to, to cap it up, in the Eastern Conference, he believes Cleveland, and in the PAC system, believes Cleveland will be the number one 
offensive team in the league, followed by Atlanta. Interestingly, this is where kind of some real surprises. Milwaukee jumps in as as a decent. Now, that's with Middleton, so they drop a little bit when you take Middleton out um, and uh, then move their way down a little bit uh, further. Uh, you end up with some of the teams we've talked about. Toronto flies in. New York just really struggles. Uh, Detroit struggles. Uh, Orlando struggles. Brooklyn struggles. I think Washington comes out okay. That's one of the reasons why I have the Wizards uh, where I do as a playoff team under Scott Brooks, who I believe is a really good coach. Uh, I, I often think we get so caught up in technical things uh, that we forget about the fact that what really might matter is how a team uh, handles things uh, in regards to playing hard. I know it's such a boring concept, but a lot of times I think that is where we have to remember playing hard truly, truly matters. So the way I'm looking at the East right now is Cleveland is obviously one, and I still think Toronto hovers in uh, at the number two spot, followed by Boston, but I think Atlanta knocks on that door much more than anyone's talking about. I'm uh, the pack system is very high on Atlanta, has them close to 50 wins, uh, and knocking and, and being very successful uh, in a way that we have you've probably not heard about uh, Atlanta uh, this year. We have on our pack system, we have a bunch of different mechanisms in which uh, we run some numbers to try to to guess who's going to win uh, and and where the projections are and. The Atlanta Hawks have, on a few of them, have come out as the number one team in the Eastern Conference. And uh, the one I like the best, they come out number two. Now, here's what's interesting is in one of our systems, the five teams, six teams in the league, we have a, they, they come out all um, almost as the exact same in regards to win projection. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're so incredibly close uh, from, you know, Three or four wins separating Milwaukee, Miami, Charlotte, Washington, Toronto, Boston, and Indiana uh, in this grouping, according to our pack ratings and and the way we look at them. Uh, there's some flaws in our systems here. This is not in any way perfect. I'm not sure I would necessarily go to Vegas with it, but I would. I do. It, the the big takeaway is that they it really likes Atlanta. It sees Atlanta uh, on a level. Uh, maybe it sees Kyle Korver recovering a little bit, which is unlikely at that age. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Toronto, as we mentioned, Boston, uh, and Atlanta are my top four. Charlotte comes in right at five. Washington comes in at six. Uh, and then it's really a, a mush pit. Milwaukee is the team I've said looks a little bit better uh, on our system than everybody else. I have them at seven. And then uh, the question is, who, what do you believe Frank Vogel can do uh, defensively with Orlando, whether they make eight? Um, actually, our models like Indiana much more than I do uh, and have Indiana as a team that gets in at about 41 wins and is able to get into the playoffs uh, along the way and has the Knicks as just a mess. Has the Knicks coming in at 25 wins on a bunch of these different systems. So that is your Eastern Conference preview. Special thanks to Casper Mattresses. Uh, remember, you can go to Casper Mattresses, go to Casper.com slash locked 
and insert the Vandy code LOCKED, and you get uh, $50 off your mattress purchase at Casper. This has been the Eastern Conference Part 2 Preview, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Next week, we will bring you the Western Conference, and glad to have uh, Athletes Collective on sponsoring that for you next week with their clothing company, uh, as well as Warby Parker and SeatGeek. So special thanks to all the sponsors that have jumped aboard the Locked On Podcast Network. Next week, Western Conference. This has been our Eastern Conference wrap, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe to your team and get it every day.